I'm Hayes Hartwig. This is Bamboo, Vancouver's property management and investment podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. We're back here with Peter again. We're going to be taking a look at some of the stats as well as some upcoming news that is going to be kind of changing some stuff if it all goes through in uh, Vancouver with the rental market as far as the short-term rentals goes in particular. So um, yeah, I guess we should uh, get to it. Welcome to the show, Peter. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Hayes, for having me back for the third or fourth time, I guess. Um, You're kind of a regular now. Man. Kind of a regular, I guess. <laughs> yeah, always good to be back and, and to chat about some stuff. Uh, you sent me a couple uh, a couple articles the other night to take a look at, and, and there's a lot of stuff in the news right now that um, is quite interesting and, and definitely affects the long-term and short-term rental market. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, definitely excited to talk about it. Yeah, we'll see how these are. What's going on, too? So, um Typical of the season, though, for once, the average rent has actually dropped by $32, which is not astronomical, but at least it's some form of release for the tenants that are long-term in Vancouver and, well, greater Vancouver, I guess, to be more accurate. It's the first time in six months that it hasn't gone up. So uh, you actually touched in on that uh, in June, one of our podcasts way back then, so... I know it looks nice to move in the in the summer, but uh, if you can, if you're able to, moving in the middle of winter is uh, is a good way to get uh, get a bit of a discount on the rent. Yeah, yeah it's always always nice to be right, to, nice to be validated a little bit. Um, honestly, I always tell any of my my friends if you're looking for a rental for yourself. The, the best time is when the weather looks like it is today, which yeah. <laughs> uh, pouring rain and a little bit colder. Uh, and yeah, the, the rental market is definitely seasonal. Um, to be honest, this year, uh, it felt like after Labor Day, uh, the the, ten- the supply of tenants just dried up completely. Mm. In August, I was flying high and prices were crazy and, and I was renting stuff like crazy. And then uh, once September hit, it definitely got a lot slower. Uh, I saw a lot of units on the market stuck at a certain price. The prices are always quick to go up, but sticky on the way down. So (laughs) uh, maybe that's why we've only seen a $32 uh, decrease when it probably in reality is a little bit more. Uh, But then again, that's just the average. So definitely going to see prices, you know, $100 or $200 or even $300 lower. Um, I've definitely lowered prices on on some stuff to to get it rented, mm-hmm. uh, and that's just the nature of the of the season. Yeah, I've been definitely I have to do a couple of uh, deductions as well, which is sometimes a little bit tough with the uh, landlords. You got to have that conversation, and they're not super keen to have that. But <laughs> yeah, and and like I said, it's it's always sticky on the way down, right? People, you know, especially if they've just started, you know, renting out. Uh, their place and say in August, they talk to all their friends, their friends say, oh yeah, I was renting my place for this much. And they go, oh, perfect, I'm going to put mine on the market in, in October. And and it just so happens that it's gone down a little bit. So you do have to be aware of that. And it's always better to get the place rented out, get somebody in there, uh, than to let it sit empty for months and months trying to you know hold on to that extra $100. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If you go trying to chase that, man, like just simple math, you get a month of vacancy. That's a lot of months that you're going to need of $100 each to get that vacancy back. Yeah, never so, never going to be worth it. So. Yeah, 
So yeah, so sometimes you just gotta suck it up and do it. So uh, currently the average for Greater Vancouver, we'll get into those numbers a little bit more, sits at 24,406. Um, that's for an unfurnished one bedroom. Uh, Pete, you should explain to us, why, why are we using a one bedroom? Uh, one bedrooms are the most common kind of base unit that we use for comparing prices across the board. Uh, obviously, a two-bedroom, a three-bedroom, or a detached home is, or a townhouse are going to be more expensive. So having the, the most common unit, which is the one-bedroom unfurnished, is, is a really good baseline. And it lets us compare things by adding on different you know, furnished or, or two-bed and stuff like that and comparing how those prices are affected. Yeah, absolutely. And as we touched on at the start of the show, the market has definitely started to slow down, probably will slow down a little bit more. Uh, this is usually caused since the school rush is over. Like everyone's most, for the most part, has found their places. Uh, so it's going to be very difficult to rent anything up at SFU. UBC, I think, would be a little bit easier simply for the fact that there is definitely not enough homes for students. <laughs> so you can kind of rent fairly often. We should talk more to Matt about that, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, since he works out there a lot more. The other thing that does play a factor in is that people start thinking more about family events. They're thinking about, you know, they just came off of uh, Thanksgiving, well, Canadian Thanksgiving and Halloween and, you know, parties and whatnot. So that's what they're kind of gearing towards. They're not wanting to be having everything in boxes come December when it's Christmas time, basically, in, in the, the people's thoughts, at least, right? So For sure. For me, at least, it makes total sense that you know, especially as Christmas rolls around, December seems like a bit of a write-off. Yeah. Um, I usually end up taking two weeks off of showings at Christmas, not because I necessarily want to, just because there's nobody, <laughs> nobody's, looking. <laughs> nobody's looking. There's nobody interested. Uh, last year, you know, there was definitely a two-week period around Christmas time from the, you know, the 20th until the, the second or the third, mm. where I just got basically no inquiries because nobody nobody wanted to move they were all just hanging out and you know that being enjoying. said when it's in the new year do you notice that you get a little bit of a blip like it, it almost seems like people make that new year's resolution to uh no longer be in a one bedroom maybe people are moving in together or uh the people who get engaged over the holidays it's kind of silly but cheesy thing um <laughs> do that that or or even uh learn that they're gonna have a child or something i always just notice there's a little bit of an uptick in the first couple weeks of for sure january. for sure first couple weeks of january um i do just find december as a whole is just is pretty dead uh, i think last year i did maybe one or two move-ins mm. on January 1st or well, I think I might have done I might have done them a little bit before January 1st but uh, move-ins for January 1st uh, when regularly I would have at least four yeah a month uh, you know so it was definitely less than usual um, and uh, even those ones I think I probably secured the tenant in November and, and not in December yes yeah. December is just a, a bit of a wash the, for <laughs> anything really but uh, it makes sense. Um, and if you are looking for a place as a tenant, December might be a great month to look it, it, because there's going to be a lot less competition from other tenants, as well as there's going to be supply on the market, right? Um, especially if uh, somebody's given their notice to move, you know, and then the landlord has to rent it out for that period of time and it might be available. So it might be a good good way to get a deal. Yeah, for sure. And don't be afraid to negotiate. You know, the answer is no if you don't ask. So 
as a tenant, if you're going to be moving into a place, don't be afraid to ask. Yeah, because I've, I've definitely been known to get a little desperate around <laughs> December. So we'll call it desperate December when I'm trying to rent a place and and I can't get it done. And, and I'll, you know, I'll definitely take a take a bit of a deal to get somebody in there. Yeah, so. for sure. Right. Uh, that being said, with the decrease that we have had, it's still one hundred and fifty dollars more on average for the same time this year as it was last year. So rents as per usual in general just continue to rise but this is the first month that we've actually had any decrease in that so a little bit of a relief for those who are looking um obviously for our landlords they don't like that information as much but say love you uh so the average rent per square foot is three dollars and 31 cents for the greater vancouver with the top three being new west and this is a big one at $5.19 per square foot. Wow. Vancouver proper at $4.18 and Burnaby at $3.62. Um, the re- main driver though for uh, New West having a higher one is that 618 Carnarvon is taking possession. So everyone's trying to get the most for the brand new building tower that just got built. And there's another one coming up. Uh, I don't know if they're taking possession yet, but it's imminent so i think there's a a, there's two brand new towers looking for tenants so that's going to push everything up obviously and probably i'm assuming some smaller units as well that are still going for pretty high prices which is probably driving that price per square foot very high absolutely so i mean that i'll be very surprised if that does not drop down like at least a full dollar next month yeah I'll, i'll be very surprised um that I mean, as I said, with the how condos are expensive to begin with, the new ones especially, and then the mortgage rates are significantly higher than when these guys wrote four years ago, yeah, three years ago, somewhere in there. So all of a sudden now they have to get a mortgage that's two, three percent higher than what they were planning on. They're trying to recoup that obviously with the tenants, so they're they're shooting for the stars. Yeah. Whether they will get that or not, totally different story. Yeah, it, it can be tough when a, a new building opens. I think we've probably talked about it before, but when oh, a yeah. new, new building opens, there's going to be forty identical units with most of the time identical floor plans. Yep. And the only differentiation is maybe what floor it's on, which, to be honest, doesn't matter all that much. Yep. Um, you know, unless we're talking about the second floor to the 38th floor, that's a little bit of a difference. But between the 12th and the 15th or the even the 10th and the 20th, it yeah. doesn't really matter that much. And uh, that's a lot of competition. So. Oh, absolutely. And, and that's one of those things that a lot of the do-it-yourself landlords, they forget about that when they run into that competition. Is that that is actually, not to blow our own horns, but where you may want to consider getting a professional property management company even to do just the placement for you because as you touched on there peter that there is numerous apartments they're all the same you need something to differentiate yourself by having a professional company that's able to do those showings when you're at work uh, do the videos do the virtual walkthroughs professional pictures as well as the fact that we're a brick and mortar management company that makes a lot of tenants feel a little bit more safe, they're more likely that they will come to a professional if they have a side-by-side over a do-it-yourselfer. Usually the write-ups are a little bit better for the professionals since we do them all the time as well. So anybody of those who's listening that has a new place down at Carnarvon, 
give us a call. Yeah, <laughs> little I, plug, right? I I definitely agree. <laughs> I definitely agree. The uh, sometimes you look at the ads and they all look exactly the same. Oh like yeah, you, the floor plans are the same. The photos that people take are relatively the same. It can be tough to even tell the difference. And obviously, if you're a tenant looking at that, really the only way to differentiate is like, oh, this picture looks slightly nicer, or or something like that, or oh, the write up is a little more professional, or something like that. So yeah, the things that you touched on are definitely something that uh, you know a professional management company can assist with and just any little differentiation can help when yep. there's 40 identical units for rent. Yeah, so. you, you need some sort of an edge, uh, which is actually kind of a nice segue on in there that the most common type of home that is available is apartments, no surprise. 77% of the available rentals right now are condos. Um, so going back to what you were saying about you need to differentiate yourself, that's a large percentage. <laughs> so you definitely need to, to look into that. Uh, the partial home is at 12% and then townhome and house are filling out the rest. Uh, when we say about partial home, we're talking about basement suites. Um, so yeah, a lot of people are starting to put their basement suites up um, simply for the fact that as we touched on earlier, mortgage rates are significantly higher. So a lot of people who needed to sort of supplement that all of a sudden, maybe putting their basements up now. So I think we'll probably see a little bit of a raise over the next couple of years in partial suites. Uh, there's also the government program, which is kind of eh, uh, giving people up to $40,000 to suite their basement. That being said, they've also said that they need to, if they're part of that program, has to be below market rent. <laughs> so it, we'll see how many people bite for that program simply for the fact that the It'll take a while to get that money back from doing that whole renovation. And of course, since it's from the government, they're going to have to come in and make sure everything's got the firewall and so on and so forth, right? Like it's not going to be a cheap upgrade as a lot of these basements are illegal basements, right? So um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that plays out, um, which is interesting as well, because this brings up another point that some people are not aware of is what is protected by the RTB, the residential tenancy branch and what is not uh, a roommate situation is not covered by the act so if there's any problems with roommates you know people kind of renting out the the in-law suite if you will the ones where they share a kitchen or whatnot that is not covered so i guess if you're going to be renting out that make sure that it's complete separate suite because things can get pretty nasty and you don't have the protection. <laughs> so, For sure. Yeah, uh, yeah we, we, we've heard some horror stories of, uh, especially like within our, a co-tenancy agreement where the, one of the tenants will call us and say like, oh, my roommate's doing this. And that's, that's, that sounds like a you problem. You, you need to figure that out. Yeah, know, right? exactly. Um, and uh, yeah, it's definitely something to consider. Uh, you know, roommate situations can work totally fine. I definitely had roommates that work in the past. I've also had roommates that didn't work. Um, so yeah, it's definitely something to consider when you're renting out your place. Uh, just one more one more thing to think about uh, when you're deciding kind of what sort of tenants you are looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So uh, going on with that, the number of bedrooms for the 77% was split fairly evenly this month with 39% being one bedroom and 46 being two bedroom. What are your thoughts on the one bedroom, two bedroom debate? Is it easier to rent a one bedroom or a two bedroom? And who's generally renting either in, in as far as you've seen lately? 
at least right now, because of the seasonal dip, the one bedrooms just seem to be the easiest. The, the more standardized something is, and if you price it in a standard way, as in you price it at the market price, that, that seems to be the easiest rental right now. Mm -hmm. um, right now, honestly, if I took a look through my Craigslist, I'd be, I have a bunch of houses, I have a bunch of furnished places. Um, I don't have any one beds because I've rented them all. So all that's kind of left on my roster of places to rent out are all of these kind of different sorts of places that aren't the aren't the standard one bed. So, mm -hmm. um, but if we're just talking about the difference between one and two beds, not a huge difference. Um, people are still definitely renting two beds. I'd say those are probably the second easiest to rent out or, or second, um, you know, if you were considering purchasing, you know, one or two beds would, would be the place to look. Yeah, absolutely. And with that, the max increase that's been allowable this year is 3.5%, which is the biggest it's been in a while. So I guess the government's sort of trying to help the landlords recoup some of the, well, the burden they've been carrying essentially for the, yeah, the housing. It's, it's almost doubled. Yeah, it was 2% last year and now 3.5%. So yeah. it's a, it's something. Um, obviously, maybe they're also making up for uh, the couple of years during COVID where it was 0%. Yeah. So making up, making up for that. Um, definitely, the th still the 3.5% definitely isn't easing all of the pain, but every little bit helps. You should always keep up with your rent increases. Um, these days, we're pretty much giving rent increases to everybody. Yeah, um, yeah it's kind of a standard issue. Um, it's... A little bit harder on the tenants. That being said, I mean, if it's $2,000 for rent, the rent increase, the max rent increase this year is 70 bucks. So, I mean, don't go for pizza once a month. You should be okay. Uh, but it, it is a little bit difficult. And, and I do understand the strain between landlords and tenants, but I think that it's almost like the our current government has pushed the housing crisis onto the mom and pop's owners. Like a, a lot of my portfolio that I work with are people who own one unit. You know, they started off living in there in their one bedroom and then moved in with a partner or whatever and just kept their one bedroom after they've been there for six years or so. Uh, and, and it just sort of seems like instead of building a whole bunch of purpose built rental places, which should be happening, they just <laughs> sort of pass the buck down to whoever currently owns. Yeah. Um, what, what are your thoughts on it? Do you see that that way? Or yeah, I, I mean, I, I think we've talked about this before, but there's there's so many different facets of the of the you know housing crisis issue, and in a building purpose built rentals is great. It takes lots of time, and it seems like these days developers don't really want to do it because it's not as profitable as selling, con you know five hundred thousand dollar or minimum condos to yeah. people. Um, so yeah, definitely the the things the government's doing is to to try and alleviate things. It definitely helps a little bit, but it's it's really you know chipping away at, at a very large issue, and uh, yeah, I, I guess the the mom and pop uh, kind of like you talked about owners who have owned one property, moved to another one, and still own that one bedroom. Mm -hmm. They're the ones getting hit the hardest, unfortunately. Um, so it's kind of the way it is right now, unfortunately. Yeah. So with the average rents, though, um, the split off. For the top three is Vancouver proper as at 28,031, followed by North Van at 3680 and West Van at 3582. This is typical. 
and that. And filling up the top five, of course, is Richmond and Markham, Ontario. Again, jumped back in up there. We really do have to get a hold of someone back in Markham and find out what is going on because they just seem to they pop in and out. Yeah, all the time. I I don't know. I had a I had a great aunt that lived in Markham, but that's <laughs> the all the information I I have. I've been there a few times, uh, but that's that's it. It's it's obviously a desirable place if the rents are popping up like that. Uh, absolutely, it seems to be. So yeah, we'll have to look into what's going on over there. So now getting into the news, you actually talked about how you have a few furnished rentals. Now, that's typical, and the furnished rentals seem to go a little bit better in the summer. People come, you know, for a month or two long vacation, stuff like this, um, and all that. The new housing minister, uh, Ravi Kalan, introduced a short-term rental accommodate—sorry, short-term rental accommodations act on Monday. Um, some of the details, if it's passed, would mean for short-term, only a host's principal residence. Uh, would be able to do it uh, in pot- municipalities with a population of 10,000 or more, i.e. a owner could list a laneway or a basement, but not both. So that might change a couple of things in Vancouver. Also, with investors with multiple condos would have to switch to long-term or face pretty heavy fines. So if somebody has, you know, those bigger money people have, you know, five or six units that they've just been using for Airbnb, this could be a huge problem for them. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? For sure. Um, I mean, obviously the biased uh, long-term property manager in me says, yeah, great, great. <laughs> get rid of the Airbnbs, turn them all into long-term rentals. That's fantastic. Um, obviously, a good portion of the economy uh, as a whole in BC is propped up by uh, tourism, uh, which obviously utilizes Airbnb. So that's another factor to consider. And I'm assuming that's maybe why the government isn't immediately just saying we're banning all Airbnb. Yeah. Um, this is pretty, this fundamentally bans, I feel, you know, I don't have the exact numbers, but I feel like it mostly, it bans most of what Airbnb is used for now, what, what uh, the housing minister is tr- trying to bring in. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd imagine that most Airbnbs out there, it's not their principal residence. You can, if you go on Airbnb and take a look, there's thousands and thousands of them in this in the city of Vancouver or downtown Vancouver, and all all of them, you know, they're available all year round, right? Yeah. They're not, or at least for the majority of the year, it's not like a person is, oh, just renting it out on a weekend when he, when they're away, or renting it out during a couple of days of the week when they're when they're not in in town. I'd imagine most of it is the people who own several places, yeah, and they enjoy the fact that airbnbs aren't protected by a bunch of renter protections like long-term rentals are they can kick people out whenever they want and they, they have more flexibility and they make a way way more money you make a lot more money on airbnb if you can have your place rented out all the time you know we're talking 300 400 a night instead of you know maybe a 100 bucks a night or 80 dollars a night compared to a long-term rental so yeah and touching in on on the control that is a big thing. A lot of the landlords that I've spoken to who are selling, you know, we'll get the call and say like, you know, the tenant's about to move out. No, I don't want to re-rent it anymore. So of course, I jump in there at the sales side. Oh, are you going to list it? And they, you know, we end up listing their unit for them. And when I ask them like, how come? What's the sudden change or whatever? A large percentage of the time, it's because they're scared now. There's The, the pendulum has kind of swung really far away from the the uh, landlord basically i 
actually talked to the RTB a couple of days ago just for some clarification on the new direct request expansion, which I'll touch on in a bit. But while I was talking to them, I, I asked a couple of questions about the one month notice for cause and said that what if there is a huge problem? You know, we know that they're bashing up the place. How, how can we expedite this? Because if somebody knows they're going to be getting kicked out for whatever reason, they're clearly going to stop paying rent in the first place. Like at that month, they're done. And why would they not? beat up the plates keep they, on keep on doing what they're doing and, yeah you know you know they have very little skin in the game or they, uh, maybe a half month of rent right? exactly right so like punch a couple holes in a wall and that is <laughs> that's cashed yeah right so i asked her about that she said that you can get an emergency one that'll expedite that however they are currently two and a half weeks backed up for an emergency one so you still have two and a half weeks of all hell breaking loose in your unit which obviously is a little bit scary for some landlords. Honestly, though, two and a half weeks sounds pretty good compared to some of the wait times I've had to wait for RTB. I've had ones, um, so I, I got, I've actually got an RTB case coming up uh, on the 30th of October, mm -hmm. and I filed it in January of this year. That's... And it wasn't, it's not an emergency. It wasn't super urgent. It's, it's for somebody who skipped out on the last month of rent. Mm -hmm. But still, almost a full year. I don't. I, if I didn't have it in my calendar, I would have forgotten about it. Um, and then I got an, an email from the RTB saying, "Hey, your your little court date's coming up." And I said, "Oh wow, I completely forgot about yeah, that." Go back and revisit I, your notes. Yeah, I'm gonna have to take another look. I had no idea. So to be honest, you know, two and a half weeks. I can. I can. That's a little bit. That's definitely better. Um, I guess in a super emergency situation, you know any time is, is not good yeah um but uh yeah two and a half weeks if it stays at two and a half weeks I, i'd be way happier than that with that than what i've dealt with before yeah absolutely and the other thing i mean these types of cases are a little bit more extreme cases i mean i i, I generally don't end up in the rtb i haven't been there for two years uh knock on i guess this is plastic here that we have but we'll <laughs> knock on that but but it's just when when they do come up I can understand how an owner would be freaked out because they kind of relinquish any control or power that they have over their unit. And admittedly, there was a lot of things that some owners were doing in the past that were not good that I can absolutely admit. But I do think that the pendulum has maybe swung a little too far. And I think that if the powers that be would maybe bring back a little bit of that control to an owner, I think the mom and pops owners would maybe be a little bit more interested in a long-term rental because they would at least have a little bit of teeth because that's a big investment that they have. You know, that's a seven, $800,000 in a lot of cases condo. For sure. And you just, what, you can't do anything? You yeah. like it's and, and to tie it back to what we're talking about, about the short-term rentals, I think that's why short-term rentals, you know, uh, the rental rate being higher aside, mm -hmm. I think are very attractive because you don't have to deal with any of those renter protections. You can stick somebody in there for, I mean, you can even stick somebody in there on Airbnb for a month. Mm -hmm. And as soon as that's done, if they don't leave, you can call the police yeah. and, and the police will, you know, trespass them. So it, you know, way easier than going through the, a long, arduous process of RTB. And I think that's, you know, probably the number two reason why people want to use Airbnbs. And uh, yeah, it's definitely interesting that the BC government's considering, um, you know, I, I say effectively banning them. It's, it's it, There will still be people that can utilize it in their primary residence, 
But I think the most people are these days are using it, you know, f- solely as an investment vehicle mm. and not in their primary residence at all. Um, so I, I'd, I'd think that if that goes through, that will, you know, could open up a, a ton of long-term housing for people. Um, if you go on Airbnb right now, like I said, there's thousands of them. <laughs> and I, I technically, I, I'm pretty sure in most municipalities, including the city of Vancouver, um, you need to have a business license or some sort of Airbnb business license with the city. I'd imagine that tons of those don't have them. And yeah. I think what the the issue is that they're going to come down to with the, even the primary residence thing is enforcement. If they don't enforce any of it, or even if they enforce it and say, oh, we give you a you know $500 fine for doing this. That's great. They made five hundred bucks a night. Right? Yeah, <laughs> that's the that's the cost of doing business. So, uh, I think that enforcement will be a huge issue. Um, I think recently, or maybe a month or two ago, they increased the fees for yeah, from like a hundred to a hundred or one hundred to one thousand. One thousand. Yeah, <laughs> they basically ten xed it um, for for registering your Airbnb. Yeah. So you know that definitely helps, and maybe they can use that additional money to fund the enforcement team yeah. <laughs> whoever's doing that um so yeah but i do think enforcement would be a huge issue um but yeah like i said at the, kind of the beginning of the segment as a biased long-term property manager if they started quietly doing away or probably not quietly but if they started doing away with some of the airbnb stuff personally i would be happy and i do think it would open up a lot more long-term housing for people who actually live here mm-hmm. as opposed to um you know, short-term, short-term rental stuff. Yeah, that being said, it's it's also a little bit strange on the timing of it because we have the Olympics or, or, or sorry, the Olympics, the World Cup is coming here, and I mean, I don't think that a lot of people have grasped how many people are going to come from this. Like, this city. is like running the Winter and the Summer Olympics at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so that being said, where are we going to put all these people? Yeah, I, I heard they're building a couple new hotels, um, and then the hotels are going to absolutely feast during, if they've banned Airbnbs by that point. We're going to see thousands of dollars a night on even the worst hotels in Vancouver. So, um, <laughs> yeah, that's definitely something to consider. And like, like I said before, I was talking about tourism. Tourism is a huge part. All the cruise ships come in. Mm-hmm. People like to stay, you know, before they go on a cruise. I mean, there are probably not very many coming in right now, but yeah. all summer long, when the cruise ships come in, people presumably like to stay in Vancouver for a couple days before, a couple days afterwards, and I bet you a ton of them are choosing Airbnbs. Um, yeah, that makes sense, right? I was in Europe this, this summer and we didn't, I maybe stayed at one hotel, but stayed at Airbnbs the rest of the time, and it was on a whole cheaper than staying at hotels, so I definitely see the appeal for tourists. So I, it's definitely something that the city of Vancouver or the province is, you know, considers, yeah. because I'm assuming a lot of tax dollars come from the tourism industry. Oh, in, indeed, right? So, yeah, I'll, I'll be putting the uh, link to that uh, article. I think it was CTV was the link for it. But anyways, it'll be in the description. So if any of our listeners want to read up that and, and see all the ins and outs, we've just sort of taken a high overview on that. So don't take that as the gospel. Um, but do read through the through the uh, the plan and see what you think. But yeah, it's definitely instant. It does look like there is going to be at least some form of a change coming for Airbnbs, which should in theory affect long-term rentals in greater Vancouver. So we'll see how that goes on. Obviously, if there's any changes, we'll, we'll bring that up on the later on shows coming through or whatnot. 
Um, going back with the, the money in that, uh, according to live.rent, which is one of the sites that we use a lot to market our homes, the users apparently on that site are averaging 51.75% of their income for rent, which is significantly higher than we normally are looking for. Um, what are your thoughts on this, Peter? Have you, have you, have you seen this? Uh, are you open to new setups like two adult couples in a two bedroom since that's kind of getting to the point where where we're at these days yeah that's i mean that's definitely too in my opinion too high right that's the that's the before tax is, is that, did you say before tax oh i'm not sure it's just i think it probably is it, that's probably before tax which when you knock in you know, 15 to 25 percent of for tax on that right. was you know you're not left with very much and the price of groceries is quite high right now so i'd imagine that wouldn't leave you with very much um, am I open to new setups? To be honest, I haven't, still haven't really, um, you know, had to do that. Mm -hmm. um, still enough people who are, you know, just professional couples looking for a two bed that, you know, make enough income uh, to, you know, to justify just the two of them. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely something that I've seen a lot more inquiries for of, mm -hmm. of multiple people in one unit. Um, you know, I've even seen like four people in a, in a one bed, which obviously is, it's a lot. Usually, usually that's over strata. Usually that's yeah. Usually that's going to be against the rules in some capacity. Um, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if you know for the next uh, unless something drastically changes for the next several years, we're going to see more and more and more of this. Mm -hmm. um, and eventually, perhaps landlords will be forced to if all of the people with lots of money already have a place, and and you know people <laughs> need to double up or triple up or quadruple up to be able to afford the rent. Then uh, you know. I, I can definitely see landlords just saying, "I got to got to get somebody in there." Yeah, absolutely. Um, and as I touched in on uh, the there's further news in the rentals that the direct request has now been expanded from just the one month uh, for uh, cause. It's been expanded to the two and the four month as well. Two month, not just not for landlord use. It's for uh, employment was changed in that so do look into that if you're a do-it-yourself landlord there has been some changes to the direct request at the rtb that being said with the direct request do make sure that all your ducks are in a row because you only get one shot at that and if you screw it up then you're going to be waiting quite some time and maybe more of a headache than just going through the regular process um, we should actually do a show on direct request or at least more focused on the rtb on process in general um yeah. honestly it's it's relatively confusing. Um, they, they, there is a lot of information out there, so you can wade through all of it mm -hmm. and do it yourself, for sure. It, I, I learned just from doing it as well. But it definitely, there's a little bit of trial and error. There, I definitely messed up some of the early ones, or at least, <laughs> you know, took longer than it maybe should have. And I learned some, you know, I don't want to say tricks, but, you know, ways of making it an expediting process or making sure all the documents, like you said, are in order. Um, so yeah, it, it, sometimes, you know, maybe consulting with a professional, um, or just having a professional do it from the start would, would be more beneficial than trying to try to do it yourself because the, the RTB process is, is convoluted to say the least. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like there's a, yeah, there's this extra things that shouldn't be there. That there's are a form so for everything. There's a, there's a, this form for that and a, this form for that and a form that proves that you sent the first form. And yeah, it, there's a <laughs> I was surprised the first time I went through and they asked for all these documents and I went, oh my goodness, this is, there's a document for a document for a document and it just, it's documents all the way down. And, and that's something that you have to, 
have to be aware of. Yeah, it's it, it is it is quite a task sometimes, especially with certain things that you think should just be straightforward. For instance, like non-payment of rent. Mm-hmm. If you don't pay your bill in a restaurant and then try to order more food, they probably won't let you do that. They'll tell you to get lost. Yeah. Rentals? Not so much. Who knows? I don't know. But yeah, they have expanded the direct request. So do take a look at the RTB website. You can learn about that there and make sure that you are on top of things because the rules generally change quietly in rentals. So you want to make sure that you're on top of it. Otherwise, you may end up shooting yourself in the foot and nobody's going to be happy with that. So, well, we basically have covered everything that we need to cover. Uh, thank you very much for listening if you've got this far. I also wanted to say thank you to everybody who has been listening to our past shows as we got ranked number 22 on Feedspot's top 50 property management con- uh, podcasts, not contests. And so thank you very much. I know that 22 doesn't sound huge, but even being ranked after being around for less than a year for our podcast, that's not too bad. I, I think that's okay, and hopefully we can move on up eventually. But um, yeah, thank you very much for tuning in. If you found anything useful in this podcast, please be sure to like and subscribe to this. We'll be back in a couple of weeks to deal with any of the goings-ons in the rental world. Thank you very much for Peter for uh, coming on the show. 